morning and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. We do welcome you to Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. Now for the next number of weeks or so, we're going to be in a brand new series entitled The Questions of Pentecost. For some who maybe are new to the Assemblies of God or maybe new to a Pentecostal movement, you hear Pentecost, you're not sure exactly what that is. You're wondering, is that the building that's in Washington? No, that's the Pentagon. It's got, got, got Penta in there. Is that that five-sided uh, little object? No, that would be a pentagram. Uh, this is Pentecost. And uh, we're going to spend a few uh, weeks looking at some questions as it relates to Pentecost. Such questions as this, what is Pentecost? What do we mean when we speak about Pentecost Sunday? And we, as we talk about Pentecost Sunday and we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, well, we're going to answer some of the questions. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit and, and, and why do we celebrate that on Pentecost Sunday? Baptism in the Holy Spirit is one of the core doctrines, core beliefs in the assemblies of God, in addition to salvation and, and healing and rapture. It's, it's one of those main doctrines from the Word of God. So when we understand what it is, then do we understand why we ought to seek it? What are some of the reasons? What are some of the purposes, the why? Well, look to explore how. How do I seek and how am I able to receive this gift, the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And then we'll be concluding with uh, this question, now what? If you're a Christian and you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit or maybe refilled and, and uh, a fresh touch of the Lord, now what? What does that mean for the life of the believer? So these are a handful of questions that we're going to be exploring over the time together. And as well, we've kind of crafted crafted the service a little bit so that we can end a little bit earlier and give an opportunity to pray, to seek the Lord, to grow in God, and to spend some time at the altars seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, maybe refilling in the Holy Spirit, and believing that God has some incredible things in store for you and me this morning. So this morning, we begin with some of the what questions, and we'll, we'll look at a couple of those today. For instance, what is Pentecost? When we talk about Pentecost Sunday, as we're welcoming you to Pentecost Sunday, what is Pentecost? What do we mean by Pentecost Sunday? So we'll actually take a little bit of a trip back, a brief trip back into the Old Testament, and we see that Pentecost, or the festival or feast of weeks or feast of harvest, it was one of the Jewish feast days. The Lord instituted a number of feasts, a number of celebrations for the Israelites. And this one here in the Word of God in the Old Testament was often referred to as the festival of, or the feast of harvest, the feast of weeks. You say, well, then where in the world did Pentecost come from? That was in Hebrew. In the New Testament, typically written in Greek, they would have taken that and put that into Greek. And then our English word or the transliteration uh, for the Greek word Pentecostus is Pentecost. So from Old Testament to New Testament to English, we take a look at Pentecost, and it's that translation or transliteration of the Greek word that means 50 days, 50 days. So as we take a look in the Old Testament, the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks 
It was the celebration of those early weeks of harvest. And this festival or feast of harvest, feast of weeks, it's mentioned in a number of the Old Testament books. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, For time's sake, we'll take a look at one of those passages this morning. We'll put it on the screen for you. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. Now, if you're looking it up uh, either in your Bible or you're looking it up on your phone, looking it up on your tablet, chances are good that there is a heading title or paragraph title, and it more than likely would say, The Festival of Weeks. Might say Festival of Harvest, Feast of Weeks. That is the title for these, this section. So beginning in verse 15, we read this. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So here's what that means. You're going to start with the celebration of first fruits, and you're going to go the day after. So the day after would be one day after. And then it says you're going to count off seven full weeks. Tough question for you. It's not too early in the morning, so I think we got this. How many days in a week? Man, you are good. You are fast. All right, so seven days in a week. Now, here here comes arithmetic. Get out your fingers and toes. Seven days in a week times seven weeks is how many days? School's almost out, and and you guys are still on it. All right, so we're going one day after, and then we're adding seven full weeks of 49. So here's the absolute hardest math problem you're going to have all day. What is one plus 49. Oh, you got it. 1 plus 49 is 50. And to make sure that we've got it, verse 16 says, count off 50 days and present the offering of new grain. It's that celebration of this early harvest. So it's always 50 days after first fruits. It's the one day after plus seven full weeks. So that is one of these instituted Old Testament festivals or feasts that was given by God. Now, it's kind of a week of weeks because seven sevens, you just said that there's seven days in a week and we're looking at seven weeks. So because it's kind of a full week of weeks, that's often why it's been termed the festival of or feast of weeks. So either of those names are interchangeable. We're talking about the Feast of Harvest or Feast of Weeks. So one of the things that God instituted in the Old Testament, now we come to the New Testament, and we come to the book of Acts, and Pentecost Sunday, it's that celebration of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the believers on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. Acts chapter 2 records that there were believers who were waiting for the promise of the Father as instructed by Jesus. And so the fulfillment of that promise, it came 50 days after his resurrection. 50 days, and it came on this specific day when this feast would be taken place. Feast of harvest, feast of weeks. 
So on this day, which would have been the Feast of Weeks, the day of Pentecost, here comes the baptism, here comes the gift, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So all of that, that's kind of a, a quick summary, Old Testament to New Testament, as we take a look at this Feast of Weeks leading into the day of Pentecost, but we celebrate and we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church, upon the believers. So that's Pentecost, and that's something that we celebrate and we honor on Pentecost Sunday. We've just talked about then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So for the balance of our time, that's the question we're going to focus on in the, the majority here in our message today. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? What do we mean when we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Here's one of the first things that I think we need to understand. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a biblical experience. It's not just because we are a Pentecostal denomination or movement. The Assemblies of God is not the only one, but it is a Pentecostal movement that believes in the power and the working and the outpouring and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's not a man-made or man-crafted teaching. All of this comes directly from God's Word. It is a biblical experience. In fact, if you take a look in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, we read about John the Baptist, and he's speaking about Jesus. He's speaking about this one that is to come and what he would do. Matthew 3, 11, John the Baptist says this, after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist, he's giving kind of a heads up as what's about to come. This one coming after me, and he was the one paving the way for Jesus Christ, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, his sandals, his flip-flops, his Nikes. Okay, they probably didn't have Nikes back then. But he's basically saying, the one coming after me is so much greater than me. Here's what he, Jesus, is going to do. Baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus himself in Acts 1.5 says this to his disciples. He refers back to John. He says, John baptized with water, but in a few days. This is one of the last things Jesus was speaking to his disciples before he ascended. He said, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So John's speaking about what's to come in Jesus. Jesus is speaking about what's to come in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then all throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, we see the person, the work, the outpouring, the infilling, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is a biblical experience. Secondly, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It's a promise. It's a promise. Back to that scripture in Acts 1-5, Jesus made this promise, one of the last things that he gave and spoke to his disciples. He said that John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was a promise. 
He said, here's what John did, but let me tell you what. I promise, here's what I'm going to do. In a few days, you will be baptized. It's a promise. In fact, Luke chapter 24, verse 49, this was an earlier statement that Jesus made. He says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. So it's the promise of God the Father. Jesus repeats that, reiterates that, and he promises he's then going to send the Holy Spirit. How many of you make promises? How many of you keep promises? It doesn't matter whether you promise your kids or you promise your grandkids. You know, you promise to go out for ice cream or you promise to go on this trip or you promise to buy this or you promise to do that. How many times do we forget what we promise, but someone else remembers what we promise, right? Now, you and I both know when it comes to promises, the promise is only as good as the person who makes it. You and I know what that means. How many of you, you've got someone, you've got someone in your family, you've got someone in the job, Maybe somebody over the years uh, as a friend or from the church, and you know when they make a promise, you can take that to the bank. They keep their word. Their word is their bond. If they say it, it's going to happen. They fulfill their promises. Chances are good we know at least somebody like that. How many of you as well know somebody else who when they make promises, maybe you begin to do the eye roll thing or the look away thing or the inside your thinking, I'll believe it when I see it thing because they haven't shown themselves faithful. Now, if that person is in this room, in this sanctuary, don't look at them, but think, do you know somebody like that? Chances are good, just like we know somebody who's found faithful, we also know somebody who's not so faithful. When it comes to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the promise of God the Father and the promise of Jesus to his disciples, he has followed through on every single thing he has promised. Every promise has come true. So when he speaks to his disciples, and when that promise is given to you and I as well, he speaks to his disciples, and he says, here's what's going to happen. You will be baptized. He said, I am going to send what the Father has promised. He didn't say the when, but he did say the what. You and I can stand firm upon that. We can hold true and hold fast to his word and to his promise because he's the one who has made it. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's a biblical experience. It's a promise. Thirdly, it's also a command. Now, this is one that's maybe a little startling, maybe a little surprising because in, in churches, even in Assemblies of God churches, baptism in the Holy Spirit is kind of referred to as it's kind of that extra bonus that's out there. And yet, when we look to the Word of God, we see it as an instruction. We see it as a command. Again, back to those two verses we referenced earlier, Luke 24, 49. 
right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, we read that. That's not a suggestion. That's not, uh, you know, stay in the city. I don't know. Think about staying in the city. Well, if you feel like staying in the city, if you feel like hanging around, if you got nothing else better to do, if, if you want a little extra bonus, you might think about staying. It was not one of those open-ended questions. It was you, Jesus speaking to his disciples, you stay. It's that understood from English, understood you. You stay. Why and what? Until you've been clothed with power from on high. I'm going to send the promised Holy Spirit so you stay. Here's my instruction. Here's my command. Stay until you receive this gift, this promise of the Holy Spirit. So this was in Acts, in Luke 24. 40 days later in Acts 1-4, Jesus repeats the command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. He's reminding them, listen, I've spoken about this on a number of occasions. Remember, you're to stay here until I send what I've promised. Don't leave Jerusalem. It's an instruction. It's a command. So much so that Paul, years later, as he writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So Jesus is instructing his disciples, stay and wait for the gift, for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing, he says, you be filled with the Spirit. When there's an instruction, when there's a command, it must be important for us. It's not just this, well, think about, consider. I want to challenge you and I to respond. You're going to have an opportunity a little bit later in the service. Whether you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit or not, whether it's been years since you've been filled or not, we're going to have an opportunity of seeking God, seeking the power of the Holy Spirit, hopefully in a, in a very fresh way, and following up on this instruction of Jesus. It's a biblical experience grounded in the Word of God. It's a promise that's been given by God and, and promised by Jesus Christ. It's a command, a clear instruction that you and I are to follow. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It's an experience that follows salvation. It follows salvation. Here's a couple of what might be termed uh, theological terms, subsequence and distinct. It is subsequent. It comes after salvation, and it is distinct. It is separate from the work of the Holy Spirit at salvation. Let's unpack that briefly. When you and I come to Jesus Christ, when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within and dwells within us. God's word is clear about that. So when we're talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we're not saying that you don't already have the Holy Spirit dwelling within or living within. So this is a separate and distinct work of the Holy Spirit in our lives following salvation. 
Now, let's take a look at this briefly. Beyond salvation, there's this separate and distinct work of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at just a a couple brief contexts from the book of Acts, one in particular, to highlight this fact. So, disciples who had been with Jesus in John chapter 20, he talked to them and said to receive the Holy Spirit. These were disciples who had been with them. But then Jesus gave those instructions, stay here, wait in Jerusalem, wait for the promise, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, this baptism, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was a separate and distinct work. Acts chapter 8, we see that there are some Samaritan converts who had come to Christ. They were saved. Then Acts chapter 8 says that then they received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, we see that Saul, who would later become Paul and write many of the books of the New Testament, he was converted. God got a hold of his life. He surrendered to him, but then later received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He would go on to write about, in fact, that verse from Ephesians as he would then proclaim and teach to us to be filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, we'll spend a little bit of time here, we read about some Ephesian disciples. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Let's take a brief look at it. It says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior And arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Let's just pause there. So these weren't just good people that he'd found. These weren't just a mix or a handful of people from the community that he had found. He had found some disciples. The disciples were individuals who had given or surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, followed after him. So he found disciples, verse 2, and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Verse 4, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had experienced repentance, forgiveness of sins. They had heard the word and responded to Jesus, to the message of hope found in Jesus Christ. They didn't know anything about this baptism, this outpouring, this infilling, this overflowing of the Holy Spirit. So what happens in verse 6? When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So we have disciples, believers of Jesus Christ. They had repented of sins, had not heard about the Holy Spirit, And as Paul shared and as Paul laid hands upon them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and prophesied. It was a separate and distinct work of the Holy Spirit that came after salvation. Now, there might be many of you in this place here worshiping with us at Alger Assembly of God today. 
Whether you've been a Christian for a handful of months, a handful of years, or a handful of decades, the question might be put to you the same way. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed or since you have believed? Yes, the Holy Spirit lives within us. Yes, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Have you received that gift, that promise from that instruction of that fresh, infilling, overflowing, outpouring of the Holy Spirit into your life? You've been saved. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now, many of you might say, yes, I checked that box off years ago. It's more than checking the box off. It's living in, walking in the the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to give you an opportunity either to seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit or maybe to seek for a fresh touch, a fresh filling of the Lord this day. So what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Well, it's a biblical experience. It's a promise of the Lord, a command from Him. It follows salvation. Next, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is powerful. Some of the verses we've looked at already, Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, wait until what happens? Until you are clothed with wimpiness from on high. That's not what it says. He says, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, it is a powerful experience. It is of God. It's biblical. He says, it's from on high. It's not from man. He says, it will clothe you or completely cover and fill us. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, We're overcome with God's power and God's presence. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, here's what we find in the first two verses. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Other scriptures and uh, uh, translations would talk about a mighty rushing wind. There's power there. The sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. When the day of Pentecost comes, there's this sound, there's this mighty and powerful and violent rushing wind. It is power, a powerful experience. It's not just a a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it changes and it impacts our lives internally in a powerful way. We'll talk about that in some of the other questions of Pentecost, the why and and some of the results and the purposes of that, but it is power. It is power to be a witness for the Lord. Jesus says that in Acts 1.8, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's not just an experience where we say, I've got the box checked off on my spiritual application. That I can say, yes, I've been baptized. It is that we might receive power. It is a powerful experience when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, when that time comes, and when we have been baptized and filled or refilled, our lives will never be the same since. It is powerful. Not only is it powerful, but it's also personal. 
We continue in Acts chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and it says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Not only was it powerful, not only was it this sound and and this mighty rushing wind, but here there are tongues of fire and it seemed to separate. Now again, they're writing and they're describing things the best way that they know possible. They'd not seen, they'd not experienced this before. And so it was kind of like tongues of fire and it came and separated on each of them. So over each of them, on each of them was like a a tongue or a flame of fire. It wasn't just like some group discount. Each and every one of them experienced this personal tongue or flame of fire. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a very personal experience. The Holy Spirit comes upon the outpouring, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a personal experience. It's not necessarily a one size fits all. When the Holy Spirit is poured out upon some individuals, uh, some are extremely exuberant. Some can be a little bit more subdued. It doesn't mean that every single one will react in their emotions in the same way. But it's a very personal experience of the Holy Spirit. Each were ministered to in a very personal way. Which is a great reminder for us that we don't need to feel like we have to do something or we have to copy what somebody else does to get it or to receive it or to try to mimic what it is that they are experiencing. We will receive in a very personal way. I say, well, if they had tongues of fire on each of them and we, we don't necessarily need to copy what everybody else does and the Holy Spirit's going to fill us in a very personal way, well, then how in the world are we going to know if we were filled? Well, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It is definite. In other words, it's verifiable. It's confirmable. It's able to be identified. Because verse 4 says that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That is the identifiable part. That is the definite part. What are some of the things that might change? You might see some individuals who are very loud, very exuberant, maybe as they are baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak out this language that they don't know. There are some who might be very, very loud and very, very vocal. Volume might be different. Because there might be another person who's baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled in the Holy Spirit. And maybe they're a lot quieter. So the identifier is not volume. We're not going to get a little volume decibel meter and say, oh, they weren't loud enough. Oh, they were too loud. It's not the volume level that determines whether we have received this infilling, this baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's 
this initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues, speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit prompts. And so what we see, Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what took place. They began to speak in languages they did not know. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, as people from all these other nations and areas were around, they heard them speaking in their own languages. And so there were multiple languages being spoken by these people gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem. They didn't know all of those languages, but what was verifiable, what was identifiable, what was definite was that they were speaking in another language that they did not know. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It's definite. It's identifiable. There's not a need to debate or to wonder when we are baptized, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will speak in another language, speak in another tongue that we don't know or recognize. So we celebrate the day of Pentecost. We are reminded here on the day of Pentecost all that took place. What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit? It's a biblical experience. It's a promise. It's a command. It's a separate and distinct work that follows salvation. It's powerful. It's personal. And it's definite. It's undeniable evidence that we've been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs>